Writer's Advice is a point of connection, a dose of inspiration, and an insight into the creative process of the babes behind the books. I'm your host, Olivia Hillier. Each week, I'll be interviewing authors from around the globe on their creative process and how they got to where they are today and what it's really like inside the industry of publishing. So listen in, take notes, and I hope you walk away inspired, ready to take on the next level of your writing wherever you are in your journey. Hello, writers, and welcome to the very first episode of Writer's Advice. I am so excited for this episode because we have the wonderful Amal Award on who has so many beautiful books. And if you stay and listen to the end of this episode, you will be able to get the chance to win her incredible book, The Things We See in the Light, that I highly recommend as well. But Amal was so gracious to give us 46 minutes of her time and it's such a beautiful conversation I know that so many people even if you're not a writer I feel like so many people are going to get some really excellent things from this so I'm so excited to share um, this with you now one thing I did forget to mention is I spoke about Amal's TED talk in this episode but I didn't mention the name of it so it's called Moving Beyond the Token Minority and I highly recommend that um, everyone definitely goes and checks out some of Amal's work, her beautiful books, but specifically this TED Talk too. I think um, a lot of people get a lot out of this, particularly writers um, working on fiction at the moment. So please listen through to the full episode because at the end you will listen to Amal's awesome writing prompt that she has given you guys for a chance to win her incredible book, The Things We See in the Light. Um, just head to Olivia Hilliard dot com slash podcast to enter that and if you absolutely love this interview please share it with your friends and family um your writing community and yes I hope you enjoy without further ado here is Amal hello listeners and writers and welcome back to writers advice and today I'm really stoked because we have Amal Awad with us today who is not only an incredible author of seven books but also a speaker an actor and a screenwriter and she has an incredible TED talk that I also recommend that everyone checks out um, as well speaking about the diversity in fiction so welcome Amal I'm so excited that you're here with us today Thank you. And thank you for calling me an actor. I, like, I never call myself an actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you are, you are creative in all those ways, so why not? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I actually have done some, so yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and I was going to say, you, I, I think being involved in, you've not only published seven books, but you've also been involved in other anthologies as well. So I was going to add those into your list. So there, there you go. <laughs> um, now, today's kind of just a quick fire chat. This is for... Um, up and coming writers or writers who, as you know, it can be a very lonely process. Someone who just wants a little bit of inspiration before they sit down and do their work or just a little bit of a boost of what they're currently working on creatively. So this is just going to be a quick fire chat talking about your creative process from where you began to um, where you are today. It was now seven published books underneath your belt. So um, when did you first know that you were a writer? Um, well, I, I remember loving books from a very young age and we all, ha I remember in kindergarten or first grade publishing my first book, you know, like at school, they would do these things when I was an 80s kid. So it was very cute. You know, they, they stapled together the cardboard pages and we all felt like we were really <laughs> you know, authors. 
Um, I think the first time it hit me that I had something to say and I could do it in a funny way was when I got published in Sydney Morning Herald with the heckler section. So it's not, it's, it's now defunct, but it used to be this funny uh, column, a daily column where people could rant about something and it was sort of an unpaid thing. But I, I wrote about being unemployable, how I was constantly being rejected everywhere I went. And I, I wrote this letter to the employers with my own rejection letter attached and said, please, to save you the trouble, here you go. Here's just a standard rejection and I got, I got published and I got published a few times in Heckler and they were never about so much cultural things. They were always about ordinary life things. And it was like my first hint that, you know, you always have this idea in your mind that there's something that interests you. And I think it's very important to pay attention to your interests because uh, where your curiosity lies, where your interests lie tends to be there's something there for you. And so that was really, it was really a 600 word column that was really my first hint. And then I started to play with my first novel, Courting Samira. And I knew I didn't have the, the structure and the craft down, but I knew I had a voice. And so I think it's really important to sort of play and explore. And that's how I essentially came across it. But in terms of believing in it, I was doubtful. Even till, till now, like I doubt my, my ability in my, not not in an imposter syndrome way. I'm not trying to be dramatic. It's more just you're competing with a lot of people to get someone's attention and, and like hope that what you have to say has relevance for them. So it can impact your self-esteem almost as a writer and make you feel like, well, who cares what I have to say? Like, is anyone going to care about what I say and how I say it? So yeah, I, I don't know. I think writers, we're a bit tragic that way, really. <laughs> it's just like, it doesn't matter. It's always that questioning of like, oh, is this, is this my thing or, you know, uh, yeah. But when you say that your first novel, when you said you were playing around with your first novel, Courting Samira, that was yeah. like um, the, fi the finalist of an Amazon breakthrough novel, like a semi-finalist of that. I think I made it to the semi-finals, yeah. yeah. It, was, it, was really, it was really good to, to do that because I, and I would really encourage people to um, like step beyond their own like region because I think I got a, a warmer reception originally with Courting Samira in the U.S than I did yeah. in Australia. Um, and the Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award is now not happening. Um, but it, it was at the time massive, like it was 5,000 entries or something. And I got down to the top 25 maybe or 50 or something like that. So it was it was just an encouragement that I, I'm not crazy. And they had people from Publishers Weekly reading your books and providing summaries and reviews. And it was, it was eye-opening for me because it made me realize, okay, I'm not nuts. I, I do have something here even if it's not ready to go and you know feedback is a whole other thing because you're getting really sort of abstract feedback from people um sometimes it's personal taste they don't know how to articulate what they don't like or why it's not working for them and so it makes it sound like you're a crap writer but really they just aren't your audience maybe um so yeah so according to Samira it was a long journey with that book it was it was actually it had a publisher and then I lost the publisher during the GFC which I know oh, COVID's now yeah. the big thing, but back in the day, the GFC was the biggest thing yeah. <laughs> to all of us. You know, it affected all the financial markets. And yeah, so it, look, I, I had a hard time getting published, to be honest. It was a really tough time. I think now publishers are, are much more open to diverse writers. And um, I have a problem with that title in the first place, but mm. let's just play with it, diverse writer. Um, I, I was up against people saying, you know, we need her to be rebellious. We need her to be 
against the constructs of her life and you know the things that she's meant to be and I was I was actually trying to normalize a Muslim woman's life and just say hey is it possible that an Arab Muslim woman raised in Australia has similar problems to an Anglo woman or a Chinese Australian woman or you know and it was this nobody got that they were like well no she has to be like hating the restrictions of her life she has to be fighting them we won't bend it like Beckham. Oh, <laughs> like, I, so not surprisingly, I just I couldn't I couldn't get it over the line because wow. they missed the point of what I was trying to do, and I yeah. deliberately picked chick lit because I wanted I wanted to play with a really innocent um, mainstream genre, mm. uh, and and really I was one of the few people in the world doing that with Muslims. You know, like it was just was not done. You know, everybody wants the trauma. Yeah. <laughs> everybody wants the, the struggle. And yeah. uh, the idea that you could have a, a Muslim woman who happened to be Muslim, that that wasn't the point of the story, even if it coloured it in a certain way. Just outside of... No. <laughs> this is on the run. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, no, that's great. So... With with that, obviously, you've stayed very strong to what you want to achieve when you're constantly getting this feedback of what other people want from you. How do you balance the feedback that you get from, okay, maybe, for instance, there is something that I need to work in in this section of my book versus, no, I'm staying strong with how I want this to be? Um, look, the, the best way to answer that is to say that, you know, you are evolving as a person and therefore you should be evolving as a writer. Yeah. So when when that happens, it's it's really about tuning in first to your own intentions. And I, I try never to write from a place of what I think I should be writing. And so when people give me feedback, it is always hard to to get feedback that's critical because you you can sit there and say, well, oh well, it's all constructive. It's not. It's not all going to be constructive. We have to accept that sometimes feedback is just sorry you're not good enough or yeah. um you don't understand what or like my favorite was you don't understand what audiences want <laughs> like, so, I'm a reader so I think they do but <laughs> it, it's <laughs> there's a dominant culture in this country and I I feel like you have to what you need to do is step back and assess and and say okay is this a person's personal taste or are they giving me something I can work with Mm-hmm. And the best thing you can do with feedback is leave it for a couple of days. So my, my earpiece is falling out here. Um, <laughs> if it's hurting you, if you're finding it too abrasive, you have to take a step back and go, all right, I clearly can't uh, contemplate what's being told to me right now in any meaningful way. So I'm going to sit with it. And then when I'm less sensitive about it, I'll come back to it and see what is real in this and what's truthful and what's useful. Because you have to, you have to be able to, as a writer, be critical of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you don't want is to be mindlessly critical, which is, oh, I suck, I'm terrible, or I'm the greatest writer on earth. Like, that's kind of like the two moods, right? Like, you know, <laughs> I'm on yeah. fire and I'm a genius. And, and then, then you have the, and you don't want, you should, like, writers, let's, let's be honest, like, it's a tough job, but you should be able to, not be living in that sort of oscillation between these two extremes like you you need to find this peaceful place between where you can listen to your characters and listen to your story and tune in and and then you allow in the external voices so how do I stay true to it 
um, I will have conversations. So, for example, with the latest book, The Things We See in the Light, I was really adamant that this was not going to be a book about a woman losing her religion. Like, it could have easily been um, publicized that way. You know, if with, mm. with a certain person, it could have been like, well, here's a, a, a woman who was once religious and now she's not. So that's what the book is about. And no one I know who's read the book ever walked away from that book saying that's what the book is about. And so I was able very clearly and early to say to my publisher that that's not how I want this book to be presented. And they absolutely understood that. And so there was never any pressure um, for me to create this controversial book. You know, it wasn't about that. And so what what came out of that was, I hope, a, a truthful, authentic story about love and life and and you know, authenticity, really. That's what the book is about. Um, and I think that if you if you can't articulate that from an early stage to yourself and to others, you're going to struggle anyway because you have to you have to stand your ground sometimes, but you also have to be truthful and um, you yourself be authentic as a storyteller. So you're not telling your story, you're telling your character's story. So if if you can't defend your characters, it's going to be really hard for you to put a book out there and forget getting feedback, like you will crumble at the first criticism. And and I promise you, a lot of people are going to get things wrong about your book. Like one, and I, I only read things more, I, I try not to read things to lift me up or bring me down. I try to read things to find where the stuff is useful or, uh, you know, once in a while to say, yeah, well, this is actually really lovely feedback and I want to share it. And I remember one person criticizing the fact that I described the shirt of a character. Like that was the, the criticism of, <laughs> and I, I remember feeling quite confused because I was like, um, I mean, it wasn't the writing sucks or, you know, this is the worst story ever. It was that, why did she describe his dress shirt? I don't care. And actually it was actually a really crucial moment that the character had noticed the way he was dressed because it changed her perception of him. So it, it was startling to me that she'd missed the whole point of why I had described the shirt. But I also said, you know, there's a, when I was a lawyer once, in a, you know, once upon a time, and they used to say, you know, your victims come, like victims come as they come, basically. Like, I don't know what the saying is, but if somebody does something and it hurts another person who happens to have a heart condition and that person collapses and dies, that, that could be manslaughter because, yeah, you didn't know this person had a heart condition, but that's, you have to treat the victim as they came, right? So I, I think of that with everything, that you can't dictate how people receive your work in the same way. Like, you don't get to say, well, you've misunderstood me and I'm really upset about that now and I'm going to go and nitpick every single criticism. Of, I, you have to, that is the, the only thing I would say with writers, the feedback you need to take on board is really the professional feedback first. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to your consumers, you have to detach as much as possible um, because they're going to misunderstand your work yep. or they're going to understand it through their perspective, which is not necessarily misunderstanding. It might not have been what you'd intended, but they've seen it through their lens. Yeah. So that's the point of art and work anyway, isn't it? That, yeah. You know, I can, I can read a book one way and another person who's had a different life experience will read it another. If you're going to be sensitive to every remark and every criticism, you're going to struggle as a writer. Like it's, it's hard enough being a writer add in other voices telling you how good or bad you are or you know seeing I guess how much people will gush over one writer versus another like it's it's gonna be mm. tough so be true to you be true to like I love this book enough that I don't really care if not everybody got what I did I got what I did I, yeah. I love what I did 
if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Was that what you would say when it comes to um, a book you're writing? As long as you're 100% happy with it, is that what you would say your de- definition of success is? Um, I don't think you're ever going to be 100% happy with what yeah. you write. <laughs> yeah. There's just a point where you've done enough and you yeah. can't do more and you have to you have to basically let it rest and say, this is, this is as much as I can do for this story at this point. Um, definition of success is really individual. I, I think we have to be careful with that word. I, I've been thinking about this a lot. A lot of people succeed in things, but they don't necessarily progress to the point that they hope to progress. And so yeah. you feel unsuccessful. <laughs> so what's the yeah. success? Is success getting published? Tick. Um, what's next? Is the success being a bestseller? And you didn't get that. So are you unsuccessful now? Or did you still succeed because you got a book published? Hmm. I, I think I think the thing I always say to people when I speak to other creatives of any kind is when you lose that joy in what you do, that's when you are unsuccessful. Yeah. So if, if there is no longer some personal fulfillment or um, you're not getting something out of this as, as, a, as a person, as a writer, whatever it is, then that's, that's to me the definition of not being successful because you can't control what happens with your book after it's been published. Like you don't get to decide, like you can have the best marketing, you can have the best placement in, in the shops. I released two books during a pandemic when nobody was able to go into shops. Yeah. I had everything working against me in that way. I can't control that. Can I feel proud of my work? I, I think I do. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to say, this exists now and that's that's enough for me. Um, but I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to overplay the mental side, but absolutely writers struggle with their mental health because mm-hmm. you invest so much time and energy and yourself into these stories and you kind of have put out with however many other books in one month. And it's just a matter of, will mine get noticed? Will people yeah. care? Um, so if you don't have that strong grounding for yourself, it's going to be really tough to survive that marketplace and the disappointment that can come. Um, and, and so that's why I always say like, and the minute it stops being something you get excited about or you don't feel that pull towards, it's a problem. That's when you really have a problem. It's not a lack of sales or you didn't get, you know, as many pre-sales as you wanted or your events got cancelled. It's when this stops meaning something to you personally, Mm -hmm. because what are you going to give your work if you don't have that dedication and that optimism that, that I have something to say and do here and I'm going to inject everything of myself into it. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a mighty ask, yes. but I, I think that if that's missing, you will absolutely struggle. Like it's, there's just no doubt about it. Yeah. Know your why behind why you're doing it. Um, so what's the best advice you've been given in your career? Best advice. Um, I, I think it was my husband who reminded me once that no matter what I do, I'm a storyteller. So I didn't need to be so attached to how I told stories. Oh. It was it was almost like my trunk was you are a storyteller. So whatever branches come out of that, you can you can make them work. And I and I think that that's very true to who I am because everything I do for me is is I think creativity is our savior. I think creativity is the thing that keeps people engaged. 
and uh, vital. Um, I wish we emphasized that more in our daily lives. And I don't think, I think there's too much emphasis on achievement when mm -hmm. really achievement is the outcome of a, fulfill, a fulfilled life. You know what I mean? So I've lost my, no, you're right. <laughs> this is me on the go. Um, <laughs> you know, achievement is the outcome. It's not the point, you know, like it's, it's almost like if you can't enjoy the train rides, you're not going to care about the destination, I think. And I, I feel like that's really important. And creativity is really where you find what you care about, what you have to say. It can absolutely undo writer's block and things like that. So like a lot of people worry when they're stuck. I actually think sometimes writer's block is extremely instructive. It's, mm. it's actually, uh, it's either telling you that you're afraid of something or that it's not ready, that it's brewing and you need to procrastinate a bit actually, because you get to procrastinate. There's this lovely little period before you start writing where you don't have to do anything, but you, you feel guilty. You're like, oh, I can't do that. I have to be struggling and, and, and actually break the rules with writing. Like it's not something, I, I mean, deadlines aside, this gets to be your playground. You get to dictate how you write. And I think that that's the thing. I, I'm always interested in how, other writers write because they're so different like everybody writes differently so know know what your trunk is I guess like <laughs> yeah know what the thing that that is sort of we always have that root that thing that is true to who we are and we always know when we've ignored it you know we always yes. know when we've departed from it and and that's I'm not saying you can't outgrow things I'm just saying don't be surprised if you tried to do something before it's time. Like it's, it's sort of, it's knowing what your, what your purpose is, I guess, for this, for this time, for this moment. 100%. Uh, it should change. We're evolving. So. The way that is the best explanation I've ever heard of writer's block. I absolutely love how you say that. And <laughs> that the reason, the fact that we, there is so many different ways to write and create, that is exactly why I put this podcast together because everyone does have a different process and there is no one path to it. And that is the beauty of creativity. <laughs> it doesn't have to be, it, well, it's not meant to be this like regimented process. I'm really interested though, as to what makes you feel the most creative. Like, do you have certain things that you do in your day to really put you in that state or what is your process when you know you're working on something um, to you know, sit down at a keyboard and get typing? Uh, no, yeah, like for me, I think uh, what inspires me is real life, actually. I, I, I notice that the less engaged I am with the world, the less inspired I am. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm actually writing a new book and I had a moment where I was really just, do I really want to write this? I'm, I'm so uninspired. I don't know. And I, I, I was, it was realizing why I was uninspired. Like we've been put on hold for two years with this pandemic. I haven't been anywhere new. I haven't really engaged with new people. I, I, I felt quite isolated, you know, like so many people being in lockdown that I, I felt like nothing had sparked me up in a way. And I don't, and I think we've got to be really careful about inspiration because inspiration is momentary. It's, it's, it's a brief mm -hmm. thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's not the flame that keeps, you know, burning. It's really, inspiration is when you light it up. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is exciting don't get caught up in that. Like what you need is to figure out what's the warm flame that's going to keep you going in this story. And that is, that is still inspiration, but it's, it's a, it's a softer kind of thing. So I don't, I don't really, I don't trust the big excited moments that I have. I, I yeah. tend to retreat 
So what I do is I do a lot of jigsaw puzzles. Like if you follow me on Instagram, <laughs> half of my page is just jigsaw puzzles. And I've done them for a long time. Like I, this isn't a new thing. I didn't pick it up in the pandemic. I used to do them in my 20s. You know, I, I, there's something about that process. It's very meditative for me. Mm-hmm. And I am a meditator. I'm a daily meditator. But doing something, the puzzles, there's something about it that it just allows me. And I don't know. And I think it's a decompression. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I don't know what's landed in my brain and then I I do something that takes me outside of that whether it's exercise or a puzzle or I meditate and then suddenly it just like comes together and I'm like oh I know now what I was thinking and so I can go and write so I I think you need to almost have a separation so Mm. it's like don't feel guilty about doing exercise or going for a walk or um even like procrastinating in silly ways, because that's actually usually the necessary component to breaking through your block. Like it's usually the thing yeah. that allows you to to realize what you're resisting. Oh, so, yeah. Does that yeah. answer the question? Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. I, it's like I love how you say too that that in you know our culture now it is we call it procrastinating and it's. It's not, it's necessary as part of the process. So that's really great. Really hard question, but I am going to ask you, do you have, um, do you have favorite books? Do you have all time favorite books? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I probably do have a couple that I swear by. Um, in, in terms of a more serious book, uh, Noel El-Fazawi's book, uh, Dangerous Women. No, yeah. oh my God. Woman at point zero. The dang- yeah. That's the dangerous woman quote is from Woman at point zero. So okay. that one is a, an extraordinary novel that she wrote. It's it's really autofiction. I think she based it on a woman she met in prison. Wow. Uh, and it's extremely relevant even today. And it's it's in another country, a different culture, but it's all really about freedom. It's, wow. it's a book about freedom. And the power that people think they have over us and how when we show them that actually they don't have the freedom to capture our minds and hearts, they lose their power over us and that's extremely difficult for people to accept you know this is this is when you think about our daily lives so much of what is imprisoning us is attention going to the wrong places and people making you feel like you are captive to what they have to say and their belief systems and if you don't agree with me you're wrong it's not even that there's a spectrum here it's there's there's my opinion and then there's there's just a wrong opinion (laughs) so I think that that's it's a relevant book on so many levels, uh, especially for women, I think. And then the other book that I absolutely loved uh, was Watermelon by Marion Keys, yeah. um, which for me was the first book that showed me that Chicklet could be so clever and so funny and so disarming because she broke so many rules. It was very like breaking the, 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 the fourth wall, like she spoke to the audience in a way. And it was just, it was the book that made me want to write. Like I remember oh, reading wow. Watermelon and just thinking, I want to write a book like this one day. Like, this is amazing. And I really liked uh, Water for Elephants by yes. Sarah Gruen years yeah. ago. I, I, I remember not so much resonating with her other books, but that she that book was so beautifully written. And I, I remember just being so touched by the lyricism of it. And yeah, there, there, are, a lot, there are a lot of books that I love. But uh, And in terms of um, sort of nonfiction, I think there's just so many good books out at the moment. And I, I love Ruby Hammond's White Tears, Brown Scars. I, I'm a big fan of Ruby's work. And I I just think that, I, I think that, that the books that we're getting now 
I think are, are so interesting because we are now able to articulate things we didn't really know when we were younger. So I experienced life in the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. very differently to like a, a lot of stuff that's coming out now is by millennial generation and, and that's really relevant and helpful and all of that. But we've also got a lot of people sort of more in my age group who we've experienced life very differently and we're able to look at things from a different perspective. And so I, I really love those older books because I feel like they were more reflective of what we went through. Yeah. Um, sort of our generation anyway that that's that sort of just off the top of my head yeah yeah I think that's my that's thing what I like <laughs> yeah do you have a book that you would recommend for any um up-and-coming writers whether it is um fiction due to how it's written or a non-fiction book on writing itself hmm, I think I, I don't want to say a specific book I think what people should do is read stuff that's similar to how they want to write yeah I I think it's really important to have what I call voice books. And and I don't mean you want to emulate or copy other writers. What I mean is there are certain books that just speak to you because of the way they're written. Mm-hmm. And so you will always gravitate to that writer. You'll always go, oh, I'll always read whatever they put out because I love them. Pay attention to that because it's probably how you yourself will write. There's something about that. So I would just say don't force yourself to read people who you don't really care about I think um you, does that make sense like I yeah, think 100%. a lot of people there's a lot of I'm going to read this book because everybody's reading it and yeah. so I better read this book I, I really don't encourage people to do that I think it's really important for people to to focus their attention on similar books in terms of genre style because it's instructive it's educational for you and absolutely not this is not me saying read them and then copy them. <laughs> it's the opposite. It's actually insp- inspiring because you can you can find your voice in a similar way by saying, well, I really loved how this author did this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, take that excursion to the bookstore and, and look up the section that you're interested in. Like, when I wrote about aging for Fridays with my folks, I remember standing in Dimmicks in the city and I, I went to the section on aging and it was very small because – most books were about how to stay young. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't have a lot of books that I could reference. It was really strange. But, you know, Atal Gawande, who wrote Being Mortal, was, the, you know, the, the author who everybody was talking about and still talking about because his, his writing is very beautiful. Um, and, but, but it was, does that make sense? Like you, you need to, yeah, you need to like almost, okay so this book is in this genre or this this area what exists in that area and how will I be different like how do I elevate that or step aside from that um but don't spend all your time writing shit split and then try to write literary fiction like unless that's unless that works for you I don't know and I'm sorry if you can hear the rain it's absolutely no that's fine (laughs) like nature is just coming and supporting what I just said (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) and it it comes back to what you said at the start too it's like when you have that feeling of um it's like follow your joy essentially you know if that's what really lights you up and that you know stick to that section in the bookstore or or find what you like the most rather than following the crowd or what you're seeing the most of be in flow you know when you're pushing against the tide you know when you're forcing it we know we have an inbuilt system that guides us very steadily and clearly a lot of the time uh we we live in a world of you know we should be doing this i should be that 
I should I should be meeting this expectation. I, I think the gold lies in the unexpected. In yes. the the treasure is exploration. I I have this instinct and I'm going to follow it. I don't know where it's going to lead me, but that's what excites me. And if you already have all the answers, then well, that who knows how that's going to turn out. I don't know how how great that work is going to be because we really don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. It doesn't matter how many tarot cards we read, and I read tarot cards. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it, it, it's. I, I think there's a lot of uh, pressure to to deliver things that are against our true nature, and I, I think mm. I've struggled with that. Like, well, I should be trying to write this instead of that, and actually, but that's not my strength. I can only write what I'm good at, and I, this isn't to say forever. This is who I am. This is the other thing we have to remember that you are an evolving person and so your work evolves with you. I'm not writing, I wrote Quoting Samira as chiclet. I wouldn't write chiclet now. Like some people think the things we see in the light is chiclet. It's absolutely not chiclet in my mind because it's quite a dramatic novel. Mm -hmm. But if some people took it that way, then I I can't stop that. Like it's fine. You know, they're they're allowed to read it that way, but it's not how I wrote it. So I, I think it's really important to remember that you are evolving. And so your work should be, growing with you you shouldn't like I doubt we will be writing the same things 10 years from now you know it's it's exciting yeah but if you're not paying attention to that you're going to be trying to repeat the same things and you do see that with some authors that they're churning out the same thing again and again and they will eventually lose an audience because the audience wants something new they do and I think it's really important to remember that as a writer but if you can't if you can't zone in to your truth like in the sense of the truth of who you are, like this is me at right now in this moment, I, I think you're going to struggle to to write properly, to write in a way that feels good and feels easy. Like I don't think writing should feel like a struggle ever. I don't mm-hmm. think it, I don't mean to say it's easy, but this idea of the tragic writer and I have to slip my wrists and all the, you know, like I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a little bit, indulgent sometimes because you know if you really feel called to do this you've been chosen to do this this Mm -hmm. is something talking to you and speaking to you and asking for your attention so be there pay attention but if you if it becomes this thing of for me and and look I've written books that were really freaking hard like when I wrote Beyond Val Clichés it did empty me out in a lot of ways but I I really feel like it was cathartic not yeah sort of oh poor me I I wasn't going through the hardest things that I documented in that book so why would I make it about me in that sense and so I think it's really important to to be kind of almost humble and modest and feel like you've been chosen like this is something that I get to do and this is fun and exciting and make it enjoyable for yourself whatever it takes if it means you know lighting a candle if it means that I only write between these hours of the day if it means that I can only do this if I'm in a retreat somewhere, whatever it takes, do it. But, you know, like it's your private thing when you write a book. It's different to screenwriting, which is very collaborative. You know, screenwriting is you're in a writer's room with people and you've got a lot of opinions flying around and then you might go off and write a screenplay and then there'll be feedback and feedback and feedback. And that's a very different process to novel writing where your your first major feedback is a massive structural edit. So you've already spent like six months whatever however long writing these characters and then someone comes back and says oh this is great but it's all wrong you know (laughs) 
Yeah, and I just have to point on something. You literally just said some of the best advice that um, I'm going to keep with me and I hope that a lot of people listen into. It's because you said let yourself grow and that your audience does want to see new things. And I think in all creative fields, um, especially once you've reached a level of success, I know some people who struggle to, you know, if you do want to change, it's like, oh, will, will my audience follow me? And it's like, let yourself naturally grow and, and let them evolve with you. And that's that's really beautiful. So thank you. Yeah, I think you see it in every marketplace. You see designers, you see people like, you know, I think, okay, I have a, I love documentaries. Like I watch a yeah. lot of documentaries and that includes even like the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix. So yeah, <laughs> I'm with you on that. I, I, I'm fascinated by the lives of people and I, I will watch everything. Like I have a, a massive fascination with cults and scams and frauds and all that sort of stuff. But I also really find a lot of these uh, celebrity documentaries interesting because they are, they are, they're very curated documentaries. They're choosing what they reveal about themselves. But one thing that Taylor Swift talked about was how she constantly feels the need to reinvent herself. So it's almost like if I come back and I'm the same person, I won't be accepted. You know, I can't, mm. I have to shake it up. I have to change it. Um, and so it almost feels like a, a forced change. It's not like necessarily like she wasn't allowed to grow at her own pace. She had to have the appearance of change. And, and it was an interesting thing to say because she said they say that when, when you become famous, you, you almost like suspend at that time, like that's where well, you stop growing, you know, you, you've almost like, so she's frozen in time from when she first became famous. And, um, you know, so any changes that she was showing, they were very cosmetic, mm-hmm. you know, different hair, different, different outfits, different sound. But in her internal world, how much had it changed? She was basically saying I hadn't grown up. So I think it's really interesting. Like, what are we really... Like, what are we growing? What are we cultivating? Our internal world is the garden. It's not the external world. We can change our appearance. We dye our hair, cut our hair. We can we can change who we hang out with. We can put filters on Instagram. But the internal world, you know how truthful that is because it belongs to you and nobody else has access to it. So that's where the, the gold is for writers. The writer world is an internal one. It's a quiet one. It's not something like... I, I don't know how any writer shares their stuff online. Like I, I, I it's not that it's wrong. I just don't get it. <laughs> like for me, it, it's so private and so special yeah. and precious that that writing time that I'm I'm almost loath to show anything to anyone until I feel like I have gotten the vomit draft out and I've gotten yeah. all the crap. Because it is awful. Your first draft is just rubbish, <laughs> and it needs to be. It needs to be like this big. Blah, and then you can sort through the debris and decide what's useful and what isn't. And, you know, writing in general is a building and excavating process at once. So it's almost like you're clearing things out and then adding them on, clearing them out, adding them on, you're layering. Um, so that's, that's what I would say about all of that. Yeah. Do you have a favourite part of the process? Like, is it the vomit draft? Yeah. yeah. No, my oh. favourite part is the end. Like, okay. when, I, when I see the finished book. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> There's usually a sweet spot when you really find your character's voices. Yeah. And you, you know what the story is. So there's this moment where you almost get giddy because you're like, oh, they finally let me in now. They've finally shown me their world and I get to be a part of this now. Uh, I think that's probably the the most affirming part 
and then the the best part is absolutely holding your book in your hands like it's it's just let's not let's not sugarcoat that it's, yeah it's done <laughs> thankfully <laughs> I don't know I've never I'm, I'm not a mother but I can only imagine that you really want the baby more than yeah. the pregnancy you know yeah. like that's how I keep writing in a way like I think it's one of those things where you feel this you feel almost like the energy of your book before it's been created so it's quite painful like you'd be physically frustrating this is containing you this idea and it's like how do I get it out how do I express it and you have all these crappy drafts that you have to get through and mistakes that you make and you know there is a lot of messiness in the process of writing where you get things wrong and so the the sweet spot is that moment when you feel like you're finally getting it right it's like oh okay now 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 we're humming now they're speaking to me now I have the story and so the, the, the mistakes I make will be more cosmetic than structural or plot-wise and all of the things. So, yes. yeah. Excellent. I can't thank you enough for everything that you have shared with us today. Is there, well, I do have one more thing, but firstly, is there anything that you want to leave listeners with advice-wise, someone who's currently, say, mid-draft on something? I would say... Uh, writing is it is a hard life and I think to have realistic expectations in terms of how you can make a living out of that that's not most most of us can't do that and and that's and I'm not trying to say that to be uh dispiriting I'm saying it to say if you can be realistic about that Mm -hmm. and remove your expectations and the constraints you place on your writing you will enjoy it more yeah so don't stop writing don't don't stop writing because it doesn't come to you the way you want it to but be open to what it brings but really find the joy in the process there's no point in you writing if you like you know like it doesn't have to be a difficult painful process all the time it can be it can be cathartic and it can be difficult and challenging but if that's the whole journey why are you doing it like it's not meant to be that way I don't think any job should ever be hard work if that makes sense like it's almost like you know and and I think it's okay to ask yourself why this story like why these characters why this this book what am I and 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 release the expectations on yourself to feel fantastic every second as well like it's not about that it's it's almost like just being slow with your work and be realistic that most writers have other jobs like I'm sorry but it's yeah I, I really, I feel like it's, it's doing writers a disservice to suggest that everybody can live off their books. It's very difficult. Like, even if you get a hefty advance, which most people don't get as first-time writers, you, you're not getting an advance in one go. It's being given to you in three different parts. Like, you get it on signing, then upon acceptance of the manuscript, and then you get one once it's out. Yeah. So that could take a year and a half before you get your full advance. And then... I don't know if you're waiting a long time to get royalties because you have to outsell your advance to get more money from that book. So be realistic, like, yeah. you know, and, and don't make that like the reason why you're writing your book. Like it's, it's, I, I, I would never say to people don't write ever. Like I, I think it's the most beautiful thing and I love it, but I, I think you need to love it. That's, that's really good <laughs> advice because, you know, I remember speaking to another author who said that to me she's like if, if you're not enjoying it why are you doing it it's mm. one of those things where it's so difficult if you don't like it that 
the, the reward that you're getting out of it is not going to be enough to compensate for that misery. It's just not. So, yeah. Yeah, I, ha- I heard a statistic. I think it's only 12 people in Australia are, can, make, can make a full-time income from writing. So it's a very... I'm pretty sure I know who a few of those are. Yeah, so it's a very... Um... I, I think, yeah, and it just means like non-fiction writers tend to be people with a profile so yeah you know it, you know that and that's fine but fiction writing it, it takes a few books to break through like it's absolutely it's it, that's not me saying like that's facts most most debut writers aren't flying off the shelf and if they are there's a lot of pressure on them to deliver the next book to be outstanding and keep that momentum going and better to, to start off small sorry i keep losing this earphone <laughs> it's better to start off small and build your way up, I think, then start off massive and not be able to keep up that momentum. But but find support as well. Like you need to have those people who you can go to and say, you know, I'm having a hard day today. I mm-hmm. am I really I'm struggling because I, I just I really think it's the mental health side of our work is so crucial to understand that you know, especially with writing, you are in the public space. You might not be famous, but people are critiquing your work very publicly. And it's very difficult because you can see it a lot of the time. It's not, it's not like they're saying it behind closed doors. It's on Instagram. It's on Twitter. It's on, it's in a major newspaper that it didn't resonate or whatever. Like you need to have a strong system in place. And that includes who do I go to for those days or do I not read things or do I get other people to read things for me and, and sift out the useful stuff? I don't know. Like it's up to you. I think it's hard. It's really hard. And I, I wish more people understood that. Yeah. It's not anything. There's nothing wrong with you if you struggle with that because yeah. that is, it is hard. It is really hard. Yeah. yeah. It's a realisticness of, of it, but you're right. If you love it, never stop. <laughs> love, and, and absolutely. Like you need to love it to write a book. Yeah. You need to love it. Excellent. I can't thank you so much for giving us your time today. There is one thing I'm going to finish with. So I'm going to give away a copy of The Things We See in the Light. And with that, um, you'll be able to see in the show notes where to click through the link. But Amal is going to give us a writing prompt. So all you have to do is follow the link and write two to three paragraphs on Amal's writing prompt. And the winner is going to receive an copy of your beautiful book things the things we see in the light so what's what's your writing prompt for this episode so it would it be like just it can be a sentence yeah it could be a sentence yeah anything anything that's that can you can do a good two to three paragraphs on okay all right (laughs) let me think here sorry this is this is not my strength like my strength is sitting down and and toiling let it come to you (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. Uh, um yeah all right so something like We sat opposite each other and I looked up directly into his eyes. He opened his mouth to speak. That's it. Just end there. I love that. It's very basic, but it's good. I personally feel, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like be be a bit more creative than that. (laughs) Yeah. The most creative thing was was off the cuff. That's not my strength off the cuff. I'm excited. (laughs) I'll send send you through some. My strength. (laughs) awesome well thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us and oh firstly where can everyone find you obviously you can you can grab all of Amal's books in your favorite bookstores um I highly recommend the things we see in the light and I am currently reading 
Um, oh, yeah, yeah. oh my gosh, in a past in a past life, I was Cleopatra, and yeah, I have yeah. to say, I feel like I feel like I'm having a conversation with you. Like, it's so great. I feel like I'm having a conversation with you, but also I've I've dived into a lot of the things that you're you speak about in yeah. that book. And I almost want to give it to my friends and be like, if you want to understand me, like <laughs> I love it. So thank yeah, you so much yeah. for that. It's great. No, that's my pleasure. But yes, please check out her books. And where can where are the best people? Uh, where can people find uh, you? The best so people? I have a website, amalawa.com, but I'm on Instagram. I, yeah. I have very, very small following. It's not, but I, I put random stuff there. So, you know, it's fun. Um, Amal MD Awaj is Perfect. my Instagram. And so people can follow me there if they want to. I'm not on Twitter and I'm not on Facebook publicly. So, yeah. Excellent. I will put your uh, your Instagram and also your um, website down in there. Thank you, <laughs> How incredible was that? If you loved the first episode of Writer's Advice, please like, share, subscribe. Um, let me and let Amal know also on Instagram um, how you liked the episode and also what you got out of it and what you took away from it um, and how it's going to be serving you this week towards your writing. If you want to enter the competition with Amal's writing prompt, just head to oliviahillier.com slash podcast. If you have any more questions, about today's episode, feel free to reach out to, on, to Amal um, with her Instagram or if you have any questions about the podcast or if you want to recommend someone that you would like to hear on the podcast, you can also reach out to me at underscore Olivia Hillier on Instagram as well. Excellent, guys. Thank you so much for joining me for the first episode and I cannot wait to share next week's episode with you with another incredible author.